Welcome to the Basilea Hollywood Podcast, a community of friends committed to the message and practice of Jesus and His kingdom. give it up for Bill. Hey, man. So Bill's going to be preaching this morning, and uh, sorry, I'm just going through my head. There's any uh, announcements. Why don't we we pray for Bill? Uh, If you just want to extend a hand. Holy Spirit, come. Lord, thank you for Bill and um, just the the prayerful preparation that he's put um, into the sermon. And and we ask that you would give us... um, the eyes to see and the ears to hear what you are saying to us through your word. So you will notice that the word that Eric gave us and some of the songs we sang cohere very nicely with what I'm planning to say. And I want you to know none of that was coordinated. It just, God is sneaky and does stuff like that sometimes. So uh, we're going to use the Bible today, as is our custom. If you uh, have a Bible or a device that you use to approximate that, you can get it out now. If you would like to have a Bible in your hand, Josh, I assume, will happily hand you one. Um, And if you have the uh, the, the white and blue Bible, you want to turn to page 560. If you have the blue large print Bible, go to 971. And um, everyone who knows how to look passages up should find Matthew chapter 7, verse 7. Uh, before we get into that specific passage, um, if you've been around for the last handful of months, you know we've been working our way through the Gospel of Matthew and in great detail. Uh, and we've been emphasizing three particular, well, this, this theme in Matthew that's very important of, of the kingdom of heaven that Jesus has lots to say about. And uh, as Troy already kind of talked about a bit, um, we've been saying a lot that, that when you read the words kingdom of heaven, uh, some of the ways we've been conditioned may make us think, okay, heaven is a place you go when you die where God is king. But if we look closely at Matthew, when Jesus uses that language, that's not what he's fundamentally talking about. He's not talking about people going, dying and going to heaven. He's talking about heaven coming to earth. He's talking about God's will being done, as the prayer says, on earth as it is in heaven. And so this is the major concern of Uh, Matthew's gospel. This is also, I would argue, the major concern of Christianity as a whole. Our goal is not to die and go to heaven. I'm not saying you won't die and go to heaven, but the ultimate thing we're looking forward to is God's transformation of the whole creation and us being raised bodily and participating in that, this transformed, glorified version of the world that we know that God inhabits and um, works through. Yeah. 
Amen. So that's, that's not what most people automatically think of, but that, I would say, historically, that's what Christianity is primarily about. And so we've been rep- repetitively saying that because it, we need to get it through our heads and it's not easy. So that's what we're talking about. And we've been saying three major things about the kingdom of heaven. And the first one is that Jesus is the king that God has chosen to bring that kingdom about. Second, that as followers of Jesus, we can think of ourselves as citizens of the kingdom and uh, that our lives should reflect the the values, the ways, the character, uh, the realities of the kingdom. Uh, And that the teaching of Jesus sort of shapes that, that, that we can learn. When he teaches us how to live our lives, this is how to be kingdom people. And then thirdly, um, we've been talking about what we call the kingdom being now and not yet. And the idea there is if we understand the kingdom as God's will done on earth as it is in heaven, then as followers of Jesus, there's a sense in which we experience the kingdom now. Uh, We do see God's will done on earth as it is in heaven, and we participate in that, but we participate in it in part. We're looking forward to a day when uh, Jesus returns and brings about God's kingdom fully. Um, And then God's will will be done fully on earth as it is in heaven. And so the kingdom is something we experience and participate in and bear witness to, but it's also something we look forward to. So that's kind of just what we've been trying to drill into everyone's heads for a few months. Um, Today we are primarily talking about that second point, Jesus' instruction to us as how to be citizens of the kingdom. Okay? So uh, Matthew chapter 7, verse 7. Ask and it will be given you. Search and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened for you. For everyone who asks receives, and everyone who searches finds, and for everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. Is there anyone among you who, if your child asks for bread, will give a stone? Or if the, chi- if the child asks for a fish, will give a snake? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? <clears throat> and that's Jesus talking, if that was not clear. Uh, and I'm going to start by doing something I don't do very much, which is talking about grammar. And so, um, Ray's happy. <laughs> so, uh, I'm, I'll keep it simple, though. In, um, in English, we have one tense to give someone an instruction to do something once or to do something on an ongoing basis. So, if I say to Troy, hand me that candle, I want him to do it right now, one time, and that's that, and that's obvious. If I say... I don't have a dog, but if I did, and I said, Troy, would you, would you walk my dog when I'm on vacation? Or, it's a big request, so it'd be more like, please, please, please walk my dog when I'm on vacation, and I'll buy you a present. You know, that, that, it's obvious that I probably don't mean come over once and do this if I'm going to be away for any length of time. I mean, come over, I don't know how often you walk a dog, but come over a bunch and do that. Do it on an ongoing basis for that period of time. Uh, and so we have to figure that out in English based on whether or not the thing, you know, the, the action might make it obvious, or we add words, hand me that stapler every day at 10. <clears throat> but it's the same tense in English. In Greek, that is not the case. In Greek, there are two different tenses, and so it's obvious which one you mean. And so when Jesus says, ask, and it will be given, this is the ongoing instruction. And that's not clear in English, but it is clear in Greek. And so to translate it a little bit awkwardly, uh, we might better read this, be asking, and it will be given you. Be seeking, and you will find. Be knocking, and the door will be open. It's not something we do once and for all. It's something we do um, on an ongoing basis. And so I would argue the picture we get here, if we understand this as 
prayer and stuff like that, seeking things from God, this is not so much a financial transaction, a business uh, interaction, so much as it's a relationship or you might even say a lifestyle. Um, so we should think of prayer not as a, an exchange, I'll say the prayer, you do the thing, but rather this is something I'm perpetually doing as a habit. I come before God, I, I seek things, I ask for things, and so forth. So there's that. Uh, we'll move on to verse 8, the second verse there. Um, and it says, for everyone who asks, receives. If we take this to mean everyone who asks, receives what they ask for, I think we all pretty much experientially know that's not really true. I'm sure we've all, if we've been doing prayer for any length of time, we've asked God to do things that God didn't do. Some of them, the opportunity has passed. I've had friends I've prayed for for healing who are dead now. Okay, well, I asked, I didn't receive, or whatever. Um, so I don't think that's the best understanding. Um, and and uh, I think that the last verse of this passage helps us figure out what I think is the best understanding. Uh, I don't know if I've said this here before. I know I've said it at my home group, but the beginning and ending of stuff in Scripture or in literature in general is particularly important much of the time. So if you look at the beginning of a book of the Bible and the end, often this gives you some clues as to how to understand the whole. My favorite example, I didn't plan on talking about this, but if you read the book of Judges, the book of Judges, I think, has the most heinous set of stuff out of the whole Bible. You know, if you think any of that gnarly Old Testament stuff that's uncomfortable to read, Judges has probably most of it. And you read this and you're like, why is this in here? This is horrible. These stories are so bleh. But then that last verse says, there was no king of Israel in those days. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. So that's kind of important. If you miss that last verse, or if you don't pay sufficient attention to it, you miss this important cue about what these horrible stories are getting at. Similarly, uh, if Jesus tells a parable, usually the last verse of the parable is kind of the punchline. So he'll tell this whole story and then say, therefore I say to you something. And that's kind of like, okay, this is what I'm getting at. The last verse or sometimes the first verse is very important. And so in this passage, the last verse of this chunk is verse 11, which I think is kind of like that. It's kind of the point. And Jesus says, if then you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask? And this is um, an argument from lesser to greater, which is a sort of classic Jewish rhetorical thing that someone like Jesus, a, a Jewish teacher, would use. And what you're saying is, if X is something we can be confident in, how much more can we be confident in Y? Okay? So if, if even a human parent, tainted by sin, with their uh, love kind of wrongly ordered, even if, if, if even a human parent is able to give good gifts to their children when they ask, if even... You guys know how to do that. How much more does your father know how to do that? Uh, not every parent is equally good at this. We know that. Uh, but even if any of us figure it out, how much more can we be sure that our father in heaven knows how to give good things to those who ask? Uh, and if I think about sort of the, the fatherliness, the parentliness of God as sort of the way I'm trying to understand this passage, um, I think about, you know, my parents didn't always give me everything I asked because sometimes they didn't think I should have everything I asked for. Uh, the example that stuck out in my mind was uh, probably about my 11th birthday or so. What I, the one thing I wanted was this Beavis and Butthead CD. <laughs> Do, does it, is anyone here too young to know who that is, Beavis and Butthead? Everyone knows? Okay. 
I won't explain it then. But they thought that this uh, would be a bad influence on me. And so they told me, I was like, the one thing I asked for for my birthday, they said no. And I was having some friends over for a sleepover or something. And so I told all my friends, get me the Beavis and Butthead CD. That's the only thing I want. And so my parents called up all their parents and told them, don't get it for him. He's not allowed to have it. And I was so mad and frustrated, and I didn't understand why they would want to deprive me of so much happiness. And <laughs> to this day, I haven't heard the Beavis and Butthead CD. I don't know if it would have been a bad influence or not, but they thought it would. They were probably right. Um, those guys get, do some naughty stuff. Um, <laughs> So, uh, you know, this is a, an aspect of good parenting. You don't give your kids stuff that is going to be harmful for them. And, you know, to some degree, you loosen up on that as they get older and let them make their own choices. But you get the idea. And my point here is not that if a prayer doesn't get answered, it was a bad prayer. But rather that um, if, if we think of God as our Father, God knows stuff we don't. Uh, we do not always have the best grip on what is a good thing to ask for. And so uh, that can help us, at least, in how we think about some of this stuff. There's stuff going on we don't know about. God is more clever than we are about what's a good gift to give. So I don't think it's, uh, I don't think the point here is so much that, that we always get what we ask for, but rather um, the nature of God, who God is, is a giver of good gifts, like a loving father, like an ideal father. Um, by contrast, I remember praying well, I was, I was chatting with someone who I met on the street a number of years ago, and I asked if I could pray for him. And he told me he didn't want to pray, he didn't want me to pray for him because he was afraid that God would take the prayer and twist it in some horrible way. Kind of like the, that, you know, if you know the story of the monkey's paw where they get three wishes, but they all come true in these awful ways. He thought that God might do that. And so he didn't want to, didn't want to mess with that. He's like, don't pray for me. I don't know, you know, what made him think that, but I assume some experience made him think that. Um, I think the idea here is that that is not true, that, that we should not be afraid that, that asking God for things will result in horrible things happening because God knows how to give good gifts to those who ask. Um, and, and we may sometimes feel like that's hard to believe. Um, it, you know, we may, get to, we may have experiences where it feels like God is spitefully doing stuff to us when we ask for good things. We may feel neglected. We may feel that he's ignoring us. We may feel that uh, we're praying and praying and nothing's happening or it's happening to someone else or whatever. Uh, that's a reality that, that many of us experience at one point or another. And um, scripture isn't naive about that. Uh, scripture is full of people being frustrated at God, having trouble believing that God is good. Uh, having experience not match who God is supposed to be and expressing that and uh, crying out about that and so on. So uh, this, is, this is to be expected. It's hard. That doesn't, you know, knowing that it's to be expected doesn't necessarily make the hardness go away. Um, but what I, what I think we ought to be getting from this is we are being told this is what God is like. Asking, seeking, and knocking, trying to pursue things from God, asking for things from God, seeking things from God that are good is worthwhile. He does know how to give good gifts. Uh, it, is, it is a worthwhile pursuit. It's not wasted time. Um, and I also have a couple of tips. I don't have any easy answers for the person who does feel this frustration. I don't see results. Uh, but I do have some tips for maybe how we can deprecate that a little bit. Uh, one is when you do see a prayer answered in a striking way, it's obvious God came through and did something. Write it down. Write the date and keep that somewhere. Uh, I have a book where I, where I write that stuff down and I write, you know, if, if someone gets a word like Eric did earlier that, 
that is about me and some, something about, you know, what God thinks of me or what God wants me to do, whatever. I'll write that down. I'll put the date. I look back at it. Uh, similarly, if I see, you know, if I pray for someone for healing and they get miraculously healed right there, uh, right there in front of me, I write it down. And then if I'm having trouble believing that God will do something like that, I look it up and go, oh, yeah, is God a giver of good gifts? Yeah, there's one, there's one, there's one, there's one. It's, it's uh, I have evidence. Um, and then the second tip would be we can also do that for each other. We can share our stories of when God did striking things um, that were good and recognize, yeah, that is true. We have reason to think that's true. It's just sometimes we can forget those things when things get hard. Now, I also need to say something about verse 12, which is also part of my passage for today. And verse 12 is uh, what we would usually call the golden rule. So who knows the golden rule? Just yell it out if you can recite it. Okay, thank you. Brilliant. That was very apathetic, by the way. <laughs> do unto others, we would have others do unto you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, hard rule. I might make it harder today, actually. Okay. <laughs> so I didn't, I didn't know this until this week. I didn't notice this before. When we quote the golden rule, do unto others as you would have others do unto you, we're quoting Luke, not Matthew. I thought we were quoting Matthew, but that's the Luke version, and they're slightly different. Um, and a word about that, you may have noticed that there's four Gospels uh, in our Bible, and um, they all tell the story of sort of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, but in different ways. And oftentimes there's passages that are similar in more than one gospel, but not quite the same. And um, sometimes a similar saying is, is put out there in different wording slightly, or a story runs a little differently, or they're arranged in a different order. And um, not only that, but if we look at how the different gospels, like similar passage differ from one another, there's actually some patterns there. So you might say that each gospel has its own flavor, is how I like to think about it. Um, the temptation sometimes is to if we notice these differences, to find a way to homogenize them, to, to, make it, to harmonize it and make one mega gospel, in our minds at least. But we, you know, the Bible doesn't have one mega gospel. It has four different ones. They each, I think, have something unique to offer. They each have contributions that they make to the whole. And because that's the, the Bible that we have, I think that's the Bible we should read. And so we should read each one in its own right and understand what each one contributes, okay? So thinking about this with the golden rule, in Luke, the version we usually quote, uh, it's chapter 6, verse 31, and it, interestingly, I didn't realize this either, it comes right in the middle of the passage about loving your enemies. It says, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. Um, if someone sues you to take away your coat, give them your shirt too, you know, so on. Do unto others as you would have others do unto you. For what good is it if you love only those who love you, and so on. And that's interesting, uh, because when you put it there, it doesn't just mean what we usually use it to mean. Um, I think the way that the golden rule gets quoted usually, it's like little Billy or someone is punching his sister, and I was little Billy when I was younger, and, and mom is saying, don't punch your sister. You wouldn't want someone bigger than you to punch you. Do unto others as you would have others do unto you. It's basically about empathy. Don't hurt people because you wouldn't want to be hurt like that. But in the middle of this loving enemies thing, I think it takes on a little bit different nuance. It's something more like do unto others as you would have others do unto you, not as they actually do do unto you. Treat other, people not based, uh, treat other people based on who you are in Christ, in other words, not based on how they're acting. It's a little bit different. Similar idea, but a little more specific. Now, that's Luke. In Matthew, um, the wording is actually a bit different. And to, to make my point, I'm giving you my translation. 
Um, I know Greek, though, so you should trust my translation. <laughs> Therefore, everything that you would want people to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. A little bit different. Um, and I, I was surprised when I noticed that there was a therefore, because usually in English they don't translate the therefore. I, I was looking at it in Greek, I was like, oh, that, that's weird. And a therefore, if you think about it, implies that what you're reading follows from what you just read, which is ask, seek, and knock. God knows how to give good gifts to those who ask. And I scratched my head for a while, and I said, why is there a therefore? It doesn't seem like it's related. I think that's why it gets left out usually in, in the English translations. Uh, but I came up with what, what I think's going on here. And uh, part of what helps me figure this out is also it says everything that you would want people to do. So do unto others all that you would want others to do to you. Um, to me, this isn't just empathy. It's not just doing something good instead of avoiding, merely avoiding doing something bad. It's actually more of an abundance of good things. Do unto others all that you would want them to do to you. Um, it emphasizes an abundance of, of doing good to others. And so what I suggest is the way to read the Matthew version of this verse is... Be a giver, basically, in other words, be a giver of good gifts to others like your father is a giver of good gifts to you. I think that's kind of the spin that, that we get in Matthew on this verse. And if I think about it that way, it's a bit more challenging because I think I do an okay-ish job with some exceptions of not hurting other people much. I try not to. I make mistakes. Um, and I think I do okay at sometimes doing good things too. And I can do something nice for someone and go home and feel like I... Did, my, did a good job, was a good Christian, uh, I deserve a cookie or whatever. But if the standard is do all that you would want others to do to you, do to them, um, that's a bit more of a challenge. Uh, that doesn't give me the opportunity of being lazy and doing good, doing, doing good things to others. That requires more of me. It requires more of a, a full investment in being a person who does good to others. It requires more of an activeness. Um, it, it means I don't get to be so free with those moments where I'm like, ah, screw it, I'm just going to sit over here and ignore these people and whatever. So I want to challenge us to do all, do to others all that we would want them to do to us. Let that be our standard. So uh, may we make it our lifestyle to ask, seek, and knock, knowing that our Father in heaven is an abundant giver of good gifts, and may we be abundant givers of good gifts to others, just like our Father in heaven. That's my challenge to you.